His presence is real here in this room. I trust that he's real there with you as well. Uh, we are in uh, week three of our Restored series. We have six of these, so this is the halfway point. Uh, today we're going to talk about God's provision. God's provision, certainly in a time like this, understanding biblical provision is an important thing for all of us to understand. Let me read a couple of verses from Genesis. We'll set the stage and then let me pray and then we'll get right to it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, first of all. We read this, and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thanks once again, Lord, for an opportunity to be together uh, through this incredible technology that allows us Lord, to go right into people's homes, right over the internet, right into their phones, their computers, their tablets. Father, I can remember a time, and it wasn't that long ago. I know young people, Lord, they think that we've always had this, when this wouldn't have been possible. And yet you have seen fit, Lord, that we would be able to continue to preach the gospel. And in many ways, Father, perhaps reach more people than we ever have before. So Holy Spirit, that's exactly what I ask you to do. Right now, reach people that we might not reach. Lord, there is a faithful core that we depend upon. We are so thankful for them. But Lord, we also want all of those that might not know you. Lord, that's my heart. I know it's the heart of those that attend Abundant Life. Lord, so right now, you anoint a stream. Father, you anoint the locations that it'll go to. You prepare the hearts, which I believe you've already done. Lord, you providentially guide people to... Click on that link that they saw that a friend shared. Maybe they'll be intrigued. Let them find this at precisely the right moment that they'll be drawn in. Holy Spirit, you alone have the creativity and the power to do that, so we ask you to do it right now. Bless this word for each one of us. Encourage us, strengthen us, speak to us in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. If you haven't already shared, please do so. Share the stream as we talk about God's provision today. Well, let me begin with this. We often, when we think about provision, when I use the word provision, I don't know what you think of, but let me tell you what I, what I think you think of and what I think a lot of people think of. When we talk about God's provision, if we add the word God to it and we say God provides, I think sometimes we set that in opposition to work. You can either work or God can provide. It's almost like that we think of God's provision as something that kind of falls out of the sky. Boy, if God provides, you just go out and you dig a hole and there's a bucket of gold. Or you, you, you know, you're walking through your yard and you trip over a bag of money. If God provides, then you go out to your mailbox completely unexpected and you open it up and somebody has placed a stack of $100 bills in there. Woo, hallelujah. That'd be good, wouldn't it? That's... To me, that's how we sometimes think about God's provision. And I want you to know that in the power and in the omnipotence of God, he can do any one of those. But I want you to know that that's rarely. There are occasions in the word, like the children of Israel, uh, during their time in the wilderness where literally food fell, sort of quail fell from the, fell from the ground and manna kind of, develop like dew on the grass. It was supernatural. They had nothing to do with it. God completely in his power provided there. There is a picture of that in the scripture, but you need to understand that that is the 
That's the exceptional picture. There is another system, if you will, another avenue by which God absolutely provides. I want to refer you, if you will, back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And I want you to notice, it says, the Lord God took the man. Now remember, this is the Garden of Eden. This is perfection. This is without sickness, without need, without, without aging, without death, without pain, without fear, without worry. This is the picture that we refer to when we want to talk about perfection. We talk about the Garden of Eden. It says this about the Lord's plan for Adam in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Now there went perfection. And to keep it. Why would Adam be assigned keeping and working by God in the Garden of Eden? Well, let me show you first of all those words. First of all, work literally means to exert oneself mentally or physically. Do something. Move. And keep in the Hebrew there, it means to maintain in a certain state. Let me just tell you right now, God did not create you and I to be lazy. Hey, I'm sorry. God's provision does not include a stipulation whereby you and I get to do nothing. Oh, come on now, preacher. I want you to preach that message where I get to lay on the couch and eat Doritos and money falls from the sky. I want you to know that the minute I find out how to do that, I'm going to get me some Doritos. But listen. That's not the way the word of God prescribes or describes God's provision. He didn't create us to be lazy. The whole picture, in fact, of the creation has God. You know what God did? He worked. God working. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Listen to Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4. It says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly Supplied. Wait a minute, if you have to work for it, how is it a supply? I want you to know that God has set up systems. God creates the systems by which provision comes, but we are still required to work and to keep, to exert ourselves mentally and physically, and then to maintain that state. If you want God's provision, let me tell you, it's, it's, you, you might say, no, that's me. I want you to know that there are a lot of people that work very hard and never get ahead, never save anything because the blessing of God, the anointing of God doesn't rest upon them. But if you want God's picture of what it means to have his provision, then work hard, work and keep, work and maintain, work hard and keep doing it for a long time. God creates the systems by which provision comes, but we are required to work and keep within those systems in order to be blessed. I think I can prove it to you. Number one, watch this. How does God's provision then appear in the scriptures? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours. Oh, I like that. There it is. That's got me on the couch with the Doritos again. No, that's not what that said. My God shall supply all of your need according to to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But listen to what Malachi chapter 3 says. When the Lord talks about how he will bring that provision, 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 11 says this, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Hey, how did that, how did that seed get in the soil? that the Lord was going to bless? How did that fruit tree get grown that the Lord was going to keep the devourer from destroying, from devouring? Somebody planted that seed. Somebody tended that vine. Somebody cared for that garden. God rebukes the devourer, sends the rain, sends the sun, sends all the things that are necessary that you might not only have a little, but have an abundance, but you had to put that seed in the ground. You had to trim those vines. You had to prune those bushes. You had to do the work of working and keeping that which God had blessed you with. God's provision works within the system that he put in place with Adam and Eve. I give you this perfect garden. Everything in it is good. Get up and work it and get up and keep it. Man. Nobody's going to be sharing this broadcast, are they? No, this is, I like that better when the money falls from heaven. God didn't provide that we could be lazy. Watch this, though. You say, well, I'm not too wild about this. You'll get more wild about it. Watch this. What's the purpose of God's provision? Well, I know the purpose of God's provision so I can live large. Ooh, man, I got my, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, some of you, I'm rolling the doves, man. I got my 22s on my car. I got it low. I mean, come on, I got everything. I got, I got my boat. I got my big house. I got my, I got my second house and wherever. I'm ba- oh, yeah, God blesses me so that I can have things. Listen. What's the purpose of God's provision? I want you to make sure that you understand this. And I don't want to tell you that God is unconcerned about our lives in any way, but I want you to know that God's provision, his blessing, let's call it a different thing. God's blessing is not about primarily your comfort. What? Not primarily. Is God concerned about our physical lives? Yes. But God doesn't bless you so that you can lay on the couch and do nothing. God's blessing is not primarily about your comfort or your position or your reputation. God doesn't pour out his goodness to make your name great. God's provision in your life is all about the kingdom and all about eternity. God's provision, let me say that again, God's provision in your life is all about his kingdom and eternity. Now, can you be blessed? Can God do great things in you? Can you have and live in the excess that, yes, you can, but you got to get your priorities straight. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 establishes those priorities. If you want to live in the blessing of God, if you want God to pour in the goodness of his kingdom, if you want to supersede this world's ability and live in a supernatural provision, then you got to get Matthew 6, 33 established, which says, but seek first. What? Seek when? Seek first. Seek how? Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Listen to James chapter 4 verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You cannot expect that God is going to pour in the eternal blessing of God for something, yes, that that is only going to endure and only has to do with our ease or our comfort or our wants. God's got a bigger picture in mind. He's got your bigger picture in mind. 
He's got your eternity in mind. He's got the eternity of others in mind. God understands an eternal perspective that says, listen, why would I pour in eternal blessings for something that's only going to last a few years? God wants to bless you now, yes, but for the purpose of establishing you in eternity and others as well. Psalm chapter 103, verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Now listen, watch this. Key verse of scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, yeah, Pastor. That says that if I give with the right attitude, God's going to just pour in blessing. Yes, he will. But what's the purpose of that blessing? Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Oh, I like the way that's all grace. Grace in your work, grace in your relationships, grace in your family, grace in your health, grace in your knowledge, grace in your discernment, all grace. Oh, I want to live in all grace. So that having all sufficiency, man, I like that. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Woo, man, that sounds like double blessing. You've got all grace and all sufficiency in all things at all times. Wow, that's the kind of blessing I want to live in. Yes, but there's a comma there, not a period. Let me read the whole verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The purpose of all grace and all sufficiency and all things at all times is that you may abound in every good work. Listen to verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You hear the eternal connection? Now listen, here it is. Verse 11 is where I wanted you to get to. Listen, all of that blessing, all of that provision, all of the good things of God, all that he's poured out upon you. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can have everything you want. So that you can live in a bigger house than anybody else. You can wear the finest clothes. You can have, I mean, you can have, uh, you know, 42 pairs of Jordans. And, I mean, you can have every new sneaker that comes out. You can have, oh, my goodness, you can have the highest, I mean, the highest price. I mean, you, everything. No, that's not what it says. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Let me say that again. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Listen, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God pours out his blessing upon you and I so that the kingdom of God will be established. God pours out his goodness upon you and I so that we can pour it out upon other people. We are enriched in every way that we might be generous in every way. Now listen, is it true that the abundance of that can be an incredible blessing to you? Absolutely. 
Can you, can you have nice things? I have nice things, yes. But you've got to seek first his kingdom if you're going to live in God's provision. It's got to be about his name, not your name. It's got to be about his desires, not your desires. It's got to be about the needs of those that God brings into your life. You've got to give in order to receive. You've been blessed in every way that you might be generous in every way. It's not about you. It's about his name. And in your generosity, it will produce thanksgiving to you. No, thanksgiving to God. Man, that's good. As part of God's grace, you can earn and amass excess. Let me say that again. As part of God's grace, you can earn and amass excess. But there's a purpose for that excess. That you are enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I love the saying, you can't outgive God. That's true. You cannot outgive God, but God's giving to you has a purpose, and that's not primarily about your fame or your name or your stuff. You can have a great name. You might even grow famous, but if you're going to be eternal and make an impact for the kingdom, it's because you're going to give it out. You're going to give it out. God's going to bless you. You're going to keep pushing it away. You're going to keep giving to others. The more he gives you, the more you give away, the more you build into his kingdom, the more you meet the needs of those around you. He has blessed you in every way that you might be generous in every way. Really interesting story. I don't know if you've ever applied it this way, but I think it's a powerful, perfect fit to this situation. There's a story about a young man in the Bible. He had lived a blessed life. He had grown up in a family, and we believe from where the story is positioned and the way that it's told, this was a godly family with a godly father and a godly lineage. And one day, the younger of two sons decides that he doesn't want it to be about the father's desire anymore. He wants his way. He wants to have what is his And he doesn't want to have it in the context of his father. He wants what is his, and he wants to remove himself from the father. He wants the blessing of the father, but he doesn't want to live under the leadership of the father anymore. And that's what it is when you say, oh, Lord, bless me so that I can do what I want. And there's no picture of that in the scriptures. This young man takes what is a great fortune, we believe, and he leaves the father's provision. He leaves the father's constraints. He leaves the father's direction and his leadership. He leaves the father's home and the warmth and the goodness, and he goes to a faraway land, and there he lives it. I mean, he lives life large, does whatever he wants, buys whatever he wants, parties in the way that he wants to. He has a lot of money. He uses it for him, and before long, it's all gone. You, you know, I didn't tell you, but this is the story of the prodigal son. And eventually there comes a moment where he has run through all of the excess that his father had blessed him with. And he finds himself eating in the trough of pigs, the lowest place in life. And here's what I believe. You, you may not. You may be able to amass a fortune sufficiently large to buy you anything you want. But if you do that outside of the plan of God for your life, whether you ever run out of money or not, you're going to find yourself in a place 
where you're going to be eating from the hog trough of life and it's going to be empty and it's going to be without purpose. It's going to be vain and you're going to have no joy and no peace. Why? Because you and I were made. You cannot escape your created DNA. Oh, hallelujah. You cannot escape what God has made you. He has blessed you to give. There is something in your DNA, something in your psyche, something in your emotions that loves to receive and then give it out. You may not even know that because the world hasn't taught you it yet. But if you want to amass real wealth, if you want to find real joy, if you want to know what real wealth is, give it away as quick as you get it. Bring mammon to heal. Bring filthy mammon. Bring the hold of money on you to heal by doing what? Oh, Father, you bless me, I'll bless someone else. Lord, you bless me, I'll build your kingdom. Lord, you bless me, I will keep and I will work to see that your name is glorified rather than mine. Oh, my goodness. If you don't do that, when we make God's blessing and provision about us, we become prodigal. You say, no, I come to church all the time. Yeah, but you're never going to know what real wealth is. You're never going to know the peace of having God pour into you. Oh, such blessings, such joy, such peace, and such monetary blessings that you, you couldn't even imagine what God has done through you. And it never gets a hold on you. It never sinks its claws into you. Why? Because you keep it at bay. You keep pushing it away. You keep blessing others. God pours his provision in your life so that he might enrich you in every way, that you might be generous in every way. And that's how you live in God's provision. That's how the supply never runs out. Because you don't ever make it about you. You make it about God's kingdom and his name and his fame. Last, let me leave you with this. A couple of easy steps to living in God's restored provision. You say, well, that's easy for somebody that has a lot. No, the Bible is very clear that you have to begin being faithful over a little bit before he will ever make you steward over a lot. You want to be blessed greatly? Then start being faithful over the little tiny things that you have. And God will expand it. God will provide. Three quick steps. We've already said them except for one. Let me leave you with them today. Steps to living in God's re You've been restored to a position. A system has been put in place for your provision. But you've got to live in it. Here it is. Number one, you've got to work. You've got to exert yourself mentally or physically. You've got to find what God has called you to do. And then you got to put your whole heart into it. you got to quit grumbling. you got to quit complaining. you got to quit whining about your boss and whining about somebody else's deal and somebody else has got it better. you got to quit that. you got to get rid of that spirit. of That's really a spirit of greed. That's a spirit of selfishness. That's an antichrist spirit. Be blessed in what you do have. And you got to show up and go to work. You've got to work harder than anybody else. You've got to work more than anybody else. You've got to do it with a grateful heart. You've got to do it with all of your effort. On days off, find something to do. Find something to make better. Build something. Establish something. Don't lay around. Don't be, don't be lazy in your life. God will teach you things. Oh, my goodness. I have got one addiction, and I've only got one real addiction in life, and that's learning new stuff. Man, I love learning how to do stuff. You find something that I don't know how to do. I'm going to ask enough questions. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn how to do it. Why? Because I spent some years being lazy, and I'm telling you, it feels good to work. Nothing it feels better than coming in after a day. Let me tell you, I love it. I love coming in completely flat out wore out. 
lay my head down on a pillow, and I know why I'm tired. Come on, you got to work. If you're going to live in God's restored provision, you've got to work. Secondly, you got to keep. God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. What does that mean? You've got to set a course, and you've got to stay with it. Millennial generation, let me speak to you a moment. You're the most likely generation in the history of history, for, our, for all sake. There's never been, since we've been keeping statistics, there's never been a generation, as much so as the young generation today, is likely to quit a job. You used to hear stories of people that would start a job and they worked 35, 40 years. Statistically right now, young people today, once they go to work, they quit and they change jobs every three years. That's on the, on the high side. You, you can never, you're never going to keep, you're never going to live. I'm not saying you shouldn't improve yourself. I'm not, shouldn't, I'm not saying you shouldn't keep moving up, but you've got to have this mentality that says, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to keep working hard. Exert yourself mentally or physically and then maintain a certain state. Keep going at it. Work hard. Keep doing it. And then third, tithe. Give God what is his. Put him first. You see, oh, you're just trying to build the bank account of the church. I tell people all the time, if you don't believe that tithing works, don't give it here. Give it somewhere else until you know that God will bless you. My wife and I have been married 36 years this year. Even before we were married, we began tithing. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? We take 10% off of the gross. We don't give the state the first part. I don't pay my taxes and then take what's left. I don't pay all my bills and then take what's left and hopefully I have something to give God. We put God first. Why? Because that's what the scripture says. I'm going to work out God's plan. I'm not trying to work out my plan. I'm trying to work under his provision. I've been restored to a place. I want God's systems at work on my behalf. So we work hard. We stay the course. And then we put God first in it. And we have lived in abundance for 36 years. You say, Pastor, are you a millionaire? I don't, I don't even know what that means. All right? I'm not trying to be a millionaire. I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm trying to be generous and give to the needs of those that I see in need. And as I keep doing that, God keeps blessing us. Three real easy steps. Work, keep, and tithe. Work hard. Keep it up and give God what's his. Return to God what's his. And you'll live, I believe, in the provision of God. Let me pray for us. Father, mm, Lord, right now, Lord, we live, we're living in a time where economically there are people suffering, Lord. I know that. But Lord, I can't, I can't even, I don't have time to tell the stories right now that I have heard of you providing for people when, when their job was shut down. And I'm, it's good that the government is doing things. I'm not talking about that, Lord. I'm talking about other people being generous, sharing with one another, the body of Christ, taking care of others in the body of Christ. People that have been faithful continue to have their needs met. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I pray for each person here Lord, that they would in every way be blessed. Blessed in every way, supplied in every way in order to be generous. 
we work, we keep, and we tithe, we give back to you. And then you pour in an abundance, Lord, and we meet the needs of those that you bring into our life. It is, oh Lord, it is a wonderful life. I thank you for it. I thank you for teaching me and others the principles of financial stewardship and provision in accordance with your word, not in accordance with some man-made philosophy. It's not about us, Father. It's about you. It's about your kingdom. And when we put you first, you take care of us. Show yourself faithful, Lord, as I know you will. Bless each one, Father. Open up doors of opportunity for those that are looking for work. For those that want to work and keep and tithe, Father, open up doors of opportunity to bless them in ways that they cannot imagine, Lord, as they put you first and your kingdom. Bless them. Use us. You've restored us to provision. Thank you for your great provision. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.